And uh, today I'm going to be in Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. And my title is this, Becoming Right with God. Um, in the last couple of times I've spoken, we started in uh, Exodus 19 um, to continue, I mean, to meet with God, right? And then it was uh, Exodus 34 to, uh, to continue with God, and now it's becoming right with God. And we're going to kind of follow this journey and just go back and briefly touch on it and see how are we getting to Leviticus 16 and what is he telling us there? And so jumping into this, becoming right with God, I really have a focus today on confession, right? That's, my focus is talking about confession. And um, just to wrap your mind around a little bit, I want to tell you this story. And uh, when I was in high school, I played hockey. And uh, I remember the first game of the season, you haven't put your skates on in a while, and you start practicing again. And I put on my skates, we had a practice, and I got done, and I had two huge blisters on both of my feet. You know, and I've gotten blisters before, so I was like, you know, I'll just put, you know, Neosporin should be better by the morning. Hey, that rhymes, if you say it like that. So that's what I said. I was like, oh, it'd be fine. So I clean it up, put my shoes back on, don't put a band-aid or another thing. I'm going to be fine. Well, like a week goes by of not really looking, just thinking everything's going to be fine, and it starts hurting, and it gets a little worse and a little worse, and I'm like, oh, just a little more Neosporin, and it just got worse and worse, and ended up getting infected right? And then um, I didn't say nothing to anybody for a while because I thought I could just fix it um, by not really doing much. And then I go to the doctor, and it's at the point where I can't even touch my foot without it hurting. And it turned into this really like dangerous infection. And it, it grew just from this little blister. I'm not, Christina's shaking her head at me like a mom would. I don't blame you. And it's, it was a mess, it was a mess. And so they had to go to the doctor, and eventually it all worked out. They ended up cleaning it out and helping me and gave me the right medicine. And um, I still have my feet, and that's good. And so my point is this. When you let things go, they eventually can infect, and they can eventually fester and grow and, and begin to just uh, drain out the life, right? It, it's, it's, it's breaking it down. And in the same way, there's sin that can be in our lives, and there's sin is in our lives. And if we haven't confessed that sin and brought it to the Lord, it's like that, that blister. And it just turns out to be something small, and it just grows and festers, and it, it begins to rot out, and our souls begin to hurt, and our minds begin to hurt, and we just hold down these, we repress these things and, and try to not let them out. And what happens is we begin to become infected, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and our souls are are breaking and hurting and looking for that peace that can only find through confession. And um, that's what I want to dig in. And we see this in Leviticus. And um, jumping into Leviticus to understand where we're at, this is the Day of Atonement, right? And actually, Leviticus 16, um, not only is it the, actually like the center and the, uh, the, the fulcrum point of the, the book of Leviticus, but it's actually the center in this focus, this, this is the prime point. This is like the peak of the mountain um, for the entire um, Torah, the first five books of the Bible, all the books of Moses. And so this right here, and you can look at it thematically, you can look at it even just from length, you can look at it geography, where they are in the story. This is the center of the story of the Torah. This is the high point, right? And I want to explain why that is. And so when we jump in, I like to do this. I like to start from Genesis 1, especially when we're this close, because we need to see how we've gotten here. And so, right, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the stars. He creates um, animals and uh, vegetation. He creates uh, all the, uh, the planets and the stars, and he creates um, a garden, right? And he creates 
man and woman, and they're made in the image of God. And as in the image of God, they're his representatives on earth, there to cultivate this garden and create a space where God dwells with people. Right? This is a special space, this garden, the Garden of Eden. It's, it's the, the place on earth where God is meeting with the rest of creation. And, and humanity is maintaining this. And, and they are there with him. And this is a special place. But what happens is we know they eat the fruit. And what happens is they're actually distrusting God. They, they've allowed their own desires and their own greed, you could say, overcome what God had for them. And they chose their own path instead of what he had for them. And so they, they, they invited sin. They invited this wrong thought, these, these, this idea that they can do whatever they want into the garden. And it corrupted themselves. It corrupted their mind, the way they think. And so God, he can't have this. You can't have the sin and God together. And sin cannot just be easily dis- detached from us. I mean, we're looking at it in physical terms, but it's also a very much spiritual thing. And so God has to exile them from the garden. They're sent out. They're cast out of the presence of God. They're gone. They have to leave, right? And there's an angel with a fiery sword um, at, the, at the gate because they are not allowed in. If they came in, they, it would be dangerous for them to be in the presence of God in their state. They had to leave for their own safety, let alone for their own punishment. And so they're sent out. And the rest of scripture is going to be, how do we get back into the presence of God in a manner like Eden? How, how do we enter back in into communion with the Lord, with the Almighty? How, how do we get back? Who is going to be able to do it? Right? That's a big question we're going to tackle here is who can dwell with God if we've been cast out, if Adam and Eve have been cast out. So from Adam and Eve, it just gets worse and worse, right? It just, moral, the morals are just continually corrupted and it gets just more and more, it gets bad. And then you go through uh, Noah and then you go to um, the Tower of Babel and God's just, he's, he's trying to preserve, preserve uh, somebody who can, who can, ascend who can come back into the presence of God and 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 it just gets worse and worse and then we get to finally this man named Abraham and Abraham chooses I mean God chooses Abraham to be the beginning of the end the beginning of this promise that will be fulfilled all the way until the end of the scripture and it's about how do we come back to the Lord how do we dwell again with him and so Abraham um, he's given a promise right and we've talked about it it's a He's going to have a great nation who comes from his descendants. And this nation um, is going to inherit a land. And this nation with the land, they're going to be a blessing to the whole earth. And so now we wonder, how is this, how is this man who's not even able to have children with his wife, how are they even going to do this? They can't even do the first part. But God provides a child for them. And then over the course of the next 400 years, we see that his descendants continue to grow and grow and grow. And now Abraham's family, they've grown, they've become a nation, but they've been captured and enslaved in Egypt. And so now the, the question is, how are they going to get out of Egypt and fulfill this promise, right? And, and they're being oppressed in slavery, and they're calling out to God, God, do you hear us? We're, we're being enslaved. We're being oppressed. And, and it says that God saw, he heard, and then, it, and then he's going to act, right? And God chooses Moses, and Moses comes um, actually into the house of Pharaoh, grows up in the house, and then he, he has a heart for these people. And, and now he has to leave for 40 years he comes back, and now he's going to help them get out. And God's going to use Moses and Aaron as the spokespersons for, uh, for him. And through the plagues, the wonders of God, that he is God Almighty over creation, over the gods of Egypt, over Pharaoh. 
And, and, and God uses these, these plagues and these wonders, and he brings the people out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, and he brings them um, into the wilderness. And now the people, they're in the wilderness, and they have to figure out, Lord, you brought us out of Egypt, and we're going to die in this wilderness. There's no food or water, right? But God's saying, I'm bringing you to myself. And that's what we see in Exodus 19. He provides the food. He provides the water miraculously. They're learning to depend on God. They're learning how to make him their new king. Right, God has become their king. He's theirs, right? And so now we're in the wilderness. We're at the bottom of Mount Sinai um, and God is at the top of this mountain. It's like this mini temple um, where God dwells on earth and they're able to meet with him there through Moses. And so now Moses, he goes up onto the mountain and he hears from the Lord that he's calling this nation that he's just delivered out of Egypt to be his special possession, to be, to be his royal priesthood, a mediator between the rest of humanity and him. Through Israel, the people are able to see the character of God, to see the, the will of God as they obey the law, obey the Torah. They, they are representing him similar to how Adam and Eve represented God in the Garden of Eden, right? And so God, he makes this tabernacle. He instructs them how to make a tabernacle. And a tabernacle, in the original language, it actually means dwelling, it actually means dwelling. And, and so this is the dwelling place of God, right? And in Exodus 25, 8, we see God instructs them, make me a place where I can dwell with you. And, and so then God, he, uh, he dwells in this tabernacle. He dwells everywhere, but this is a specific place where they recognize this is where we meet with him. And so now they have to be instructed on how to live in this tabernacle society? How do they live in this wilderness society? How are they going to obey these laws and, and live it out and be this representative of God to the world? And, and the key of all of this is that God's going to dwell with them, that he's going to be in their community. And, and this is a restoration back to the, the Eden-like garden, right? That, that they're not in perfect communion anymore, but God is making a way for them to dwell with him even though there's still sin, and so here we have this tabernacle. And, and, and so now God, this is what we see in Exodus, I mean, uh, Leviticus 16 is he's gonna show them how even though they can't live up to be a holy people, they, they can't do what's right. They continue to break the law. We saw in Exodus 34 how days after they received the law, he says, don't make any other gods, don't put anything before me. Within days, Moses goes up the mountain they make a golden calf and start worshiping it, right? These are sinful people. He calls them a stiff-necked people because they won't turn to him. And so now, how are these people ever gonna live in communion with God? How, how, how is this gonna work out? God, you've chosen these people, but within days, they've already chosen not to follow you. How are, you gonna be a, how are they gonna be a blessing to the whole earth if they can't do the simplest of tasks that you've asked them to do? And the truth is we can't do them either, right? And, and so Leviticus 16 is the answer. The day of atonement. How is God gonna dwell with these people? It's gonna be because of what happens on this day. So I just wanna begin to read it. Um, I'm gonna read all the way to verse 21. Uh, and this is what it says. And this is, remember, this is, this is ancient Israel. This is ancient Semitic um, culture, all right? So there's some strange things in here, but God is using these as representations of spiritual things, and it's true. These things are real. This happened, but um, there's something he's trying to change within their hearts through these symbols and these representatives. So 
Um, chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. The two sons of Aaron, they thought they could do it their own way. They entered the Holy Holies, thought they could just, they owned the place, they got this. Well, they died because they didn't represent God. They, uh, they were corrupting the, the way that God had told them to be with him. And so they drew near and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. Now, if you were already thinking this is getting strange, it's going to get stranger. So let's keep reading. Um, Verse 11, Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die, right? So, here he is. This is the Holy of Holies, right? The tabernacle is broken up into sections, and all the way in the back of it is the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant is, and that's where the God's presence is dwelling with them, right, where they can actually meet with him. But because of their sin, it's dangerous, right, because God cannot be near their sin. And so this incense that we just read about, he's burning incense, and it's making this smoke, and this smoke is acting as a, like a mini veil so that he won't be able to see God, right? Right? So it's just, it's showing the, the almighty power of God that he has to be so careful because he is so separate and so much higher and so much holier. All of these precautions have to be put in place, right? And so let's keep reading. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat, the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting 
which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull, some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all around. He shall, and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the people of Israel. And here's a key, this is the key verse we're gonna pick up on. And, and when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness, right? And then it's a continuation, kind of a summary after this of how they're supposed to uh, bathe and clean after all this and what they're gonna do with the animals. And so this is, this is not easy stuff to understand. We're separated by about Four four thousand years, about forty-five, even maybe forty-five hundred years. This is a big difference between what we're used to, right? And so, what's happening is this: Aaron, the high priest, who um, who is separated from the people, right? The whole nation is supposed to be a kingdom of priests who are supposed to live out the character of God. And within that nation, there is a dedicated priesthood who's going to serve in the tabernacle and make the sacrifices that are needed to be in relationship with God. And so, Aaron's the head of these guys. Right, and Aaron, he's gonna go to the tabernacle with um, two goats and a bull. And he's gonna kill this, bu- this bull, take the blood, bring it inside all the way in the back of the tabernacle. And he's gonna sprinkle the blood in the farthest part of the tabernacle, then onto the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the middle of that room. Then he goes back out, he gets the goat, he kills the goat, he takes the blood, he brings, this would be weird if I said it like this in the Bible. And then he takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the, on the, um, on the mercy seat on the other side. And you gotta notice the directions. He's saying eastward. So he's, he's, from the, he's in the farthest part and he's moving out. He's moving out of the, of the, uh, the tabernacle. And he's sprinkling the blood now on the, um, on the ark, on the mercy seat, and then in front of it. And then he comes out and, he, uh, and then right, he sacrifices these animals. Now what he's doing is this, that uh, the sin of the people right, the transgressions, all the times that they have broken the law, what they've actually been doing is not only polluting their own heart and growing an infection in their heart of sin, but they've actually polluted the land and they've polluted the space. And so for God to dwell with them, not only does their hearts have to be pure, but they actually have to um, clean the space where God's gonna dwell with them. And we learn in Leviticus chapter 17 that the blood represents life, right? And the goat and the bull, they represent this, the perfect blameless life. These aren't any bull and goat. These are the best that they had, the unblemished, the ones that they would have wanted kept so that they could um, breed them and, and have tons more like them. But they take these, the most special ones, the ones that they love the most, they bring them in um, and they sprinkle the life of these animals. And what they're doing is it's like they're cleansing out the sin, right? I love, uh, if you ever listen to the Bible Project, when they talk about this, I love the word he uses is uh, the vandalism. That, that the people have actually vandalized the space with their sin. 
And, and it's like the blood is cleaning off the vandalism, the pollution that they've brought in. And it's purifying the space so that they will know God can dwell here. This is a special place. This is a place where, where they're recognizing the immensity of the moment, right? And, and a sacrifice had to be paid in order for God to dwell with them because of their sin. And so that's the space, and that's the sacrifice. And then we come out, and it says now there's another goat. There's the live goat. And Aaron takes the goat. He places both of his hands on the head of the goat, and he starts confessing all of the sins and, and all of the transgressions of all of Israel. And he's listing them. He's just going down and saying all that they've done out loud. The whole nation is, is watching this. This is, a, this is a public event. This is a part of their calendar. And so here they are, and, and it, what they're doing is it's representing, and I think it's actually doing it as well, but he's, he's placing the sins of all the people. It's like it's, it's coming off of them, and it's being put onto this goat. And, and the people are now visualizing. They're visualizing that now here's a little animal that's gonna carry all of their sin. This blameless animal that was blameless, it was perfect at one time, has now taken their evil, right? And now this man is gonna take this goat out to the edge of the community and he's gonna send the goat out into the wilderness. And this goat is just gonna go and go and go and it's gonna go out into the wilderness and they're never gonna see it again. And the purpose is this, for them to understand that because of the sacrifice that is paid and, and the forgiveness of God, they can now be right with him, that their sins are gone. They had to recognize the evil that was within themselves and see a punishment for it in order to, to fully understand the immensity of God's love and his character, right? And so the goat is taken away. And I, I wanna pick up on these directions that we see in scripture because they're so important. It says um, that he sprinkles the blood um, eastward, right? And then the goat is sent in the wilderness eastward. Well, what's so amazing is in Genesis, um, in Genesis where Adam and Eve have to leave the garden, it says that they left eastward, right? And so this, this tabernacle is like a mini garden of Eden where, where they can now meet with God. And just like Adam and Eve who were inflicted and, 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 and infected with this sin disease, they had to be sent out because of it now, the sin is being sent out, and the, he, he, cleans the, he cleans the temple all the way out. He dusts all the sin out with the blood. He puts it onto the goat, and now the goat is being sent out into exile, away from the Lord. And the blood of the goat, right, was brought closer and closer. So we see that the blamed goat is sent away with the sin, and that the, the blameless goat is brought closer and closer with the blood, right? And this is what allowed Aaron and his sons after him to come into the Holy of Holies. And it allowed the presence of God to dwell in their camp, to dwell in their community. Because their sins vandalized the community. It vandalized the space. They couldn't continue on with the Lord. They couldn't continue on with God. Their sins, it prevented them from being in relationship with God. 
right? I, the way I thought of it was, was like uh, when, when I was younger and we would go for bike rides and stuff, we would, we would go into the muddiest spots. Like your bike would disappear and you'd have to dig it out of the mud. And you come home and, and you're covered. All your clothes, they're different colors now. And we would go in and we could barely get into the house. You know, you got to put towels down and get in the house. Or you, someone's got to mop up after. I wish it was us, but it probably wasn't. And we go in and we'd have to go hop in the shower. And we can't do nothing before that. We're not going to sit on the couch. We're not going to the movies. We're not, we're not going to go and, and sit in the kitchen and, you know, touch everything and get dirt everywhere. We're, we're going to try our hardest not to go on the carpet. Because it would pollute the place. It would pollute the space, right? But we'd have to get in the shower, right, with all of our clothes on. And we would have to wash, right? We would wash all of the, all of the dirt right off of our clothes, all, right off of our body. That's what's kind of happening to Israel at this point. They can't come into the house. They can't, they can't go a step further. Sometimes you gotta get hosed out outside. This is, he's saying you can't be in the presence of God and be polluted and covered in your sins and iniquities. You just can't do it. You can't come into this place. You'll ruin this place. It's dangerous if you come into this place. And so by the goat being brought in with the blood to be sprinkled out and being a sacrifice of the perfect life, representing the perfect life that's done in the place of the people, and by the goat that then takes the sins and brings it away from the presence of God, away from the community, these people are being washed they're being cleansed from things they can't see, but things that are infected in their souls, which are breaking their community, which are ruining relationships, which are view, ruining the way they view themselves, the way they view God, the way they see the whole world. And, and this infection is being clean. It's being healed by this day of atonement. We need this day of atonement as well. There, there's, there's problems within our own hearts that we recognize. That we try to turn TV on and maybe watch a show or we try to go do something to forget. And we use ways to repress it and try not to think about it. Things that may be festering in our souls. And, and there's sin within our hearts. And for some, we've already dealt with it, and praise God. And for others, we're still dealing with it. And the truth is we all still are. And there has to be a way in order for us to be cleansed as well, where the goat will be brought in, the blameless and sacrifice, and then the goat to take away the sins of the people. And what we see is this, that Jesus fulfills all of the law. He lives the perfect light to not just be a representative as a goat, but to be the actual blameless person who actually is God as a man and take the place for humanity Take the place for all who will accept this sacrifice. And he is the blameless life that is brought up. By his blood, we have been healed, right? By his blood, we have been forgiven. But also, he is the scapegoat, the goat that takes the sins away. And just as these sins were confessed over this goat, when you've confessed your sins, you've placed them on Christ. And when he died, he exiled those sins. He brought them away. He took them with himself. He took them where they'll never be seen again, where they won't be held against us. Hebrews chapter nine says this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, 
then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, right? This, he's imagining this heavenly temple, this heavenly tabernacle. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Me and you cannot dwell with the Lord. The question, who can dwell with God? That question we asked, on our own, it's not us. It would never be. We would be permanently exiled, left to our own destruction. But it's by the one who could enter in, the one who could dwell with the Lord, who sacrifices himself and takes on the sins of the world to bring them far away to never be seen by confessing and giving them. He makes us able to enter into the presence of God. Israel, to continue as a priestly nation, had to be able to interact with God, had to be in the presence of God. For me and you, to continue on as a priestly kingdom, as, as people who can tell others and demonstrate the character of God and bring his presence to the rest of the world that they might know, we have to be purified. We have to be cleansed by him. We have to be made right. And that's what Hebrews is talking about. Jesus fulfills the requirement of the day of atonement once and for all. And so we, as, as the people of the sin, we confess our sins. In John 1, I mean, 1 John chapter 1, he says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have things that maybe we just haven't said, things that we just maybe hope will go away. And it's like my foot, right? And it's just, it's growing and it can get worse. And nobody might see it. You can cover it up, but they're real. It could be sexual sins. It could be porn and lust. It could be greed and obsession with possessions. It could be bitterness, not letting go of the past. Maybe someone's hurt you and they were on the wrong, but you allowed it to, to break your heart and just continue to, to eat away at you. And now you hate them and you want to see them hurt, and you want to see them broken, right? Or it could be resentment for what someone's done, or it could be resentment from, from, uh, from wanting what others have and hating them for it and wishing you had it. It, it could be um, racial discrimination and injustice. It could be prejudice. It, it could be lying and cheating, getting your way to the top through, through unmoral means. It could be, it could be gossip. How easy is it to say something you'll regret, to say something about somebody when they're not there? These things that eat away in our families and our friendships, right? Yeah, it could be complaining, a constant discontentment, that nothing's good enough, that we need more, we need more, we're not content. All of these things, they, they, they grow in our heart like infections and they, they, they burn us out and we don't have the energy and we don't have the means to deal with them and so they slowly kill us 
they slowly really kill us and, and separate us from the divine source of life, right? It separates us from him. And so Jesus comes and he sees his people, he sees you, he sees me, and he sees this sin which is ruining in us and, and, and exiling us for, from him for all time. And his heart is broken and his, 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 all of his mind and all of his strength is pointed into this direction of how do I save my people? This constant battle of sin that generations and generations have failed at, it's killing them. How will humanity, how will these people that I chose to be in relationship with me to reflect my character on earth and cultivate a space where, where I can be with them, how will this happen? Who can ascend? Who can, who can come to the Lord? And he looks at us and he says, none of them can, but Jesus takes this place. He lives the perfect life. He takes the sin far away and he cleanses us. And what I want you to recognize and meditate on today is the greatness and the goodness and the sacrifice of God. That we don't take the cross for, for granted that we look at it and we don't see our sin on it. We see an empty cross. We see, we see that we've been forgiven, that our slate has been wiped clean that we have new life, that it's gone. That goat went into the wilderness and was never seen again. Jesus took your sin to a place where it'll never be seen again. It's gone. It's been forgiven. It's wiped. That's what he's done. Why? Because he loves us. He loves you. He's taken that place. And not just for you, but for the people that might have hurt you as well. If they trust if they forgive, if they, if they give it away, if they repent. Because the people of Israel, they weren't just supposed to do this ritual. They weren't supposed to just come, do this day of atonement, go back and just continue sin. In the book of Isaiah, the first chapter, he says, you come and you do your rituals, you make your sacrifices, but those have become sinful because you go out and you continue to oppress the widow, oppress the fatherless, Oppress the sojourner, the, 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 the alien who's come in, the foreigner. You, you continue to, to, to do whatever you want and just make these sacrifices and think that it'll fix everything. But he says, I, I want you to change your heart. He says, I want you to live differently. I want you not just to be purified on one day, but live purified lives. And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us live that life. And we still make mistakes, but we live different. Our hearts are different. Our intentions are different. Our goal is different. It begins to morph and, and change the way we see people, the way that we love people, the way that we view ourselves and him. But it begins with confession. God, here are my sins. Take them, Lord. There's this guy, um, this guy, there's this, there's this uh, historical person, his name is John Newton, he wrote Amazing Grace. Um, and uh, you might know this story, but uh, I'm gonna say it anyways. He, he was this guy and he was a slave trader for England and he would go back and forth, he was the captain of a ship and he would go back and forth from Africa to England bringing slaves. And he did that for his whole career. And then he found the love of Christ and he confessed his sins 
and, and he gave it to them, and, and it, he actually began to change his life. What happened was he worked with a man named William Wilberforce once he um, became saved. And William Wilberforce, if you've heard of him, he was probably the leading person in England who um, brought the abolition of slavery. And so um, John Newton, this man who had committed terrible crimes, he had seen people die, probably killed people. He was responsible for their death, responsible for their transport to this oppressive nation. And, 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 and um, John Newton, he realizes his sins and is overcome with them and sees the forgiveness and he writes Amazing Grace. And so when I searched up this story, um, I typed in John Newton, expecting to see after it, slave trader. But I typed in John Newton, and what came up was abolitionist. Here's a man who had committed terrible wrongs, terrible things, but his whole identity had become changed. Because of his confession and the transformation of his heart, he was no longer the slave trader. He was now the abolitionist. The same is true for us. When, when we look up our name in the eyes of God, as we've sought his forgiveness and we've confessed our sins and began to, to change our hearts, allowing him to, to move and to um, redefine the way we think and, and see, you don't see Sam the dummy, Sam the sinner. You see Sam the righteous because of God. Right? You see your name is the righteous because of God. But it's so that we could be in the presence of God, so that you can live every day, even now, in his presence. Everywhere you go, he's with you. We can't take that for granted. That is, that is the goal of scripture, to bring us to him, coming back to him. And so wherever you go, you carry him. You have the presence of God. You live as the holy of holies. First Corinthians calls us the temple of God because now we house him. He's within us and, and we are his hands and feet in the world. When people interact with you, it's not just you that they're interacting with. It's, it's, it's God himself as he's with you. But this is because he's wiped away the sin. He's wiped away the iniquity. He's taken these things that have infected our souls and brought them where they'll never be seen again. They're gone. This is what he's done for you and me. I'm just gonna invite the worship team to come up. So find somebody. Find someone you can trust. Don't go confessing your sins to just anybody. Find someone you trust, who you have confidence in, and pour out your heart to them. Find that person that you can let them know the deep things and give it away. And then recognize and meditate that they are truly gone. Israel saw that goat disappear over the horizon. We see the empty cross. The sins are gone. They're no longer here. And we need to continually confess these sins and give them to the Lord so that we can live this new life with his presence, dwelling with him. Who can dwell with God? We can, but only because Jesus became the sacrifice. He became the two goats in our place. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would bless your people. Lord, here we are. Here we are, Lord, the nations, the nations that Israel blessed, continuing on this quest to, to let your presence be known, let your word be known, let people know of the forgiveness and the new life that we find in Jesus.
because Jesus, you died for us and you took these sins, you took them from us. Lord, help us confess, help us give them to you. We can't hold on to them, we can't make them right. We can't give ourselves forgiveness from you. You did that, Lord. So I pray that you'd bring ease to some of the minds here today who are struggling with some of the things in the past they can't forgive themselves for. Let them know that you've forgiven them when they've confessed and repented, Lord. That God, you've taken them, they're no longer there. Lord, I pray when we see your cross, Lord, we'll see the sacrifice that you gave, the love that you gave. Bless your people today, God. Bless your people today, Lord. We just give it to you, Father. Maybe today you're saying, I don't know Jesus. I don't know this guy, but I want this forgiveness. I want this life lived in his presence. All you gotta do is believe. By faith, we have been saved through grace. But let's just say a prayer together. Let's say a prayer to to confess your faith. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you've taken these sins. They're not on me. They're gone. Lord, help me live this new life. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we give you all the glory. You are so good and mighty. We look to you, our cornerstone. Amen.